It's Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from Radio's Golden Age. Welcome, I'm your host, Mark Livonier, and coming up in this hour, mystery from two famous old-time radio investigators. Later on in the hour, Dick Powell stars as Richard Diamond, private detective. But right now, Bennett Kilpack and one of radio's most listened-to programs at the time, Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons. This CBS broadcast from January 13, 1944, called The Case of the Missing Witness. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, is on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Colonel's Toothpaste present Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, one of the most famous characters of American fiction in one of radio's most thrilling dramas. Tonight and every Thursday night from 7.30 to 8, Eastern Wartime, the famous old investigator will take from his files and bring to us one of his most celebrated missing persons cases. And now, Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons. Tonight he brings us the case of the missing witness, one of the strangest of his career case in which murder, three beautiful women, and a fashion show are all strangely mingled. But listen now. As our story opens, a man is seated in a chair. Across his head slants a bar of sunlight, and on his face is a completely incredulous smile. He rises slowly to say, Don't be a fool, my dear. Put it down before you hurt yourself. Can't you hear me? Stop this ridiculous play acting. Put it down, I say. You really did it. I didn't think you had it in you. Does you? Now our scene shifts to the quiet office of Mr. Keene. As his spinster secretary, Miss Ellis, enters to ask a favor. Mr. Keene, I wonder if I might get off early this afternoon. You want to do some shopping, Miss Ellis? Oh, no, no. I'm going to a fashion show. Why, Miss Ellis, I didn't know you were interested in fashion shows. But are you insinuating that I dress like a bag of potatoes? No. Oh, no. no. As a matter of fact, Mr. Keene, it's something very, very special. You see, when I was living in Queens about 15 years ago... There used to be a little widow next door. Pretty little creature. Oh, such a struggle to make a living for herself and her daughter. I'd give her a bit of sewing every now and then to help, and... <laughs> well, you won't believe me when I tell you her name. Try me. Mary Blaine. Today, she's the most brilliant fashion designer in America. Good heavens, that is interesting. She helped originate the little black dress, the dinner suit, the short evening gown. She's enormously famous and wealthy now. Yes, I read a piece about Mrs. Blaine in one of the magazines. It called her the epitome of the successful career woman. Well, she's giving her mid-season fashion show today, and she asked me to come for all lang syne. Brilliant woman. Oh, Mary's a... Hey, look here, Mr. Keene. Why don't you come along and meet her? Oh. Me at a fashion show? Oh, there'll be dozens of men there, and all in love with beautiful Mary Blaine. Oh, oh do come. Now, you've nothing special to do this afternoon. Well, uh... uh all right, Miss Ellis. I'll do it. there'd be lots of men. Oh, that's the general talking to her right now. She is beautiful, all right. But she's paid a price for her success. How do you mean? There's an expression in her face of strain, anxiety. Maybe. Oh, she's noticed me. Here she comes. Isn't she stunning in that little gray number? Mm. Miss Ellis, I'm so glad you could come. Well, thank you, Mary, dear. And I took the liberty of bringing my boss, Mr. Keene. How do you do, Mr. Keene? Delighted to know you. I've been hearing about you for years from Miss Ellis. How wise you are. And how kind. Now, now, don't give away any secrets. <laughs> but it's very sweet of you to break away from all those generals and things to say hello to just me, Mary. 
You were my friend when I was nobody. Well, you've always deserved the best friends in the world, Mary. And uh, Oh, look, somebody's waving to you. Oh, oh, my manager. It's time for the show to begin. I'll have to get up to the microphone there to announce the new models as they come by. I'm so glad to have met you, Mr. King. The pleasure was mine. Yes, she's lovely and famous, but not quite happy. Oh, you with your X-ray eyes. <laughs> That's the fashion parade, Mr. Keene. Ladies and gentlemen, for my first offering, a long dinner dress with panel of pleated white chiffon tied with a grosgrain ribbon at the back. Isn't that stunning? Yes, even an old bachelor can see that. Uh, especially an old bachelor. <laughs> no, it's funny, I don't see Eric Plummer here, Mr. Eric Plummer? You mean the portrait painter? Yes, and gay dog number one of New York. Oh, they're good friends, Miss Ellis? He's been infatuated with Mary for some time. You mean he and Mrs. Blaine are going to marry? Well, Mary's a strange one, Mr. Keene. Never quite sure whether men love her for herself or her importance. But it seems that Eric Plummer has finally won her heart. And now a black velour suit with lean, plumb-lined skirt. A double-breasted jacket with high scrolled lapels and a scrolled hip pocket. Oh, and look, Mr. Keene, over there by the door. Yes, Miss Ellis? That charming little blonde, that's Mary's daughter, Bunny. Quite a young lady. <laughs> it's hard to believe that Mary would have a daughter 18 years old. Yes, she's still so young herself. Hmm. Mary won't be too pleased about her coming here. Why? Well, Mary just likes to keep Bunny away from business and career and men of the world. Oh. Mary's learned to value everything old-fashioned, a little white house with chintz curtains. In other words, one of America's greatest career women thinks that a woman's place is really in the home, and a simple home. Miss Ellis, Miss Ellis. Hello, Bunny, dear. Miss Ellis, how long has the show been going on? About 15 minutes. I must talk to Mother, I must. But dear. She's up there at the microphone. You can see. Something horrible has happened. I must talk to her. But, Bunny, what do you mean? <laughs> and now with my last offering before the intermission, another short dinner dress. Mother. Mother. She's seen you, Bunny. She's coming this way. Oh, now, dear, try to quiet yourself. And here, let me introduce you to Mr. Keene. How do you do, Bunny? Mr. Keene, you're the famous detective. I am an investigator. Well, maybe you can do something about this horrible thing. What horrible thing, Bunny? Hello, Bunny, dear. Mother. Darling, I, I thought you were going skating with your young soldier friend. No, I didn't. Oh, Mother. Mother. Oh, come, Bunny. What's happened? I, I went to Eric Plummer's studio instead half an hour ago. To Eric's studio? Why? He asked me to tea. He wanted to talk about, about doing my portrait. He might have asked me about that. Oh, it was all to be a surprise, Mother. Eric said it would make me the toast of cafe society. I'd become glamour girl number one of 1944. Oh, my dear. You should have gone skating. Bob Martin is such a fine boy, and, and his fellow will be up soon. Mother, I still haven't told you what happened. If you'd rather we left you alone. Oh, no, no, Mr. King, please stay. I beg you to. Well, what has happened, Benny? When I got to the studio and rang the doorbell... A policeman came out. A policeman? He asked me all sorts of questions because... Because, you see, Eric's been shot. Shot? Through the head. He's dead, Mother. He's dead. Oh, how utterly horrible. But the police said there weren't any clues at all. Oh, imagine anybody killing a wonderful man like Eric Plummer. It's ghastly. Ghastly. I want to find the person who killed Eric. I want to make them pay. And that's why I thought maybe Mr. Keene... Yes, was... Mr. Keene. In a situation like this... You'd know exactly what to do. But if the police are already on the case... Well, one moment, please. Bunny, go over to Mr. LaRue and ask him to announce the rest of the show. All right, Mother. And you, Mr. Keene, would you please step into my office with me? Oh, forgive me, Miss Ellis. Oh, it's quite all right, Mary. Here. Here, Mr. Keene. Thank you. Well, my dear? Mr. Keene, Bunny's news did not altogether surprise me. Really? In fact, I know very well who killed Eric Plummer. You do? But first, Mr. Keene, I've heard you're the cleverest private investigator in this country. Thank you. Do something for me, please. Go to Eric's studio. Examine all the evidence. And when you come back... Yes? I'll tell you who killed Eric Plummer. <laughs> Thank you.
Good afternoon, Captain Thomas. Oh, well, if it isn't Mr. Keene, your assistant with you, the one and only Mike. Glad to see you both. Good day to yourself, Captain. You're handling the police investigation, Captain? That's right, Mr. Keene. Come in. Thank you. Well, what brings you here, if I may ask? I was with Eric Plummer's fiancée, Mrs. Mary Blaine, when she got word of the shooting. She's very upset, naturally. She asked me to look into it. Do you mind? Not at all, Mr. Keene. It's murder, all right. Has the medical examiner been here yet? We're waiting for him now. If I might look at the body. Certainly. This way, sir. In this room here. Yep. There he is. Just the way we found him. Hmm. He had been sitting by his easel in the center of the room. But there's nothing on the easel, Bob. Just an empty frame. Quite right, Mike. We figure there was once a painting there, Mr. Keene, and the person who shot him was being painted. Then ripped it off the frame to avoid identification. Yes, very possible indeed, Captain. Now then, if I may look at the wound. Right there in the head. <sighs> no powder marks. No. The path of the bullet tip. Entered just above the right ear at uh, the distance of... Uh, what would you say, Captain? Doesn't it seem to you that bullet was fired from 15 feet or more? I leave that kind of guessing to the medical examiner. Hmm. Oh, uh, may I ask why you're staring at the walls now, Mr. King? I was wondering about the proportions of this room. I measured it already. 20 by 20. Oh, thank you. No sign anywhere of the gun that killed him? None. May I ask how you learned about the shooting? Yeah, through a neighbor. The shot resounded pretty loud in the air shaft back of that window there. And the neighbor who heard it? A gal who has the studio on the back. Portuguese gal. Rosa Avalar. She was taking a bath at the time she heard the shot. Quick as she could, she came and knocked on the door here. No answer, so she sent for us. Well, thank you, Captain. I won't trouble you any further. Avalar. This is her door, sir. All right, Mike. Wait for me on the landing below. I'd rather go in alone. Okay, Mr. Keene. Miss Avalar? Yes? I'm taking a hand in the investigation of the murder next door. Well, I have already talked to the police. Just one or two questions more. Why not? I want to help as much as I can. This Mr. Plummer was a very kind gentleman. In what way? Oh, he is a painter, and I am a painter. But I am a little one, a poor one. He made me many loans of materials. Very generous. As one artist to another, eh? Oh, yes, of course. Well, what I'd like to know is, did you see who entered his studio in the hours before he was shot? No. I am busy painting a flower piece. That one there? Yes. It's lovely. Oh, you like it? Very much. I presume you're working from that vase of roses on the windowsill. Yes, that's right. Hmm. Well, now, after the shooting, did you hear anybody running from the studio? Well, I am not sure. You see, I am taking a bath with the window closed. I hear a loud noise like a shot, but nothing else. Thank you. Sorry to have troubled you. <laughs> no trouble at all. Well, Mr. Keene? Mike, I'd like you to check something for me right away. Why, sure, sir. While I go back to see Mrs. Blaine, I want you to dig up the landlord of this house and just as routine, check on these points. In just a few moments, the scene follows between Mr. Keene and Mary Blaine. Meanwhile, remember, first impressions are usually lasting impressions. People judge you by the way they see you. They decide almost at once whether they want to know you better or not. And one of the greatest factors that influence everyone you meet is your teeth. If your teeth are dull and discolored by surface stains, get Colonos. K-O-L-Y-N-O-S. Colonos toothpaste at any drugstore tonight. And now Mr. Keene faces Mary Blaine, Eric Plummer's beautiful and famous fiancée. Here, Mr. King, sit down. Thank you, Mrs. Blaine. You went there. You examined the evidence. Yes. I fulfilled my part of the bargain. And now I'll have to fulfill mine. Well, my dear. You said you knew who killed Eric Plummer. I did, Mr. King. 
I killed him. You? I fancied you'd say that. Oh, not because I'm shielding anybody else. Please don't get the conventional idea that my daughter, that Bunny, perhaps... No, no. But if you did it, why did you send me back to look at the evidence? Because... Because I hoped and prayed that perhaps I didn't do it. Oh, I, I know all this sounds mad. Tell me the whole story. The whole story, Mr. King? I've given my best years to fight my way to the top. Now it's just one long nightmare of anxiety to stay there. Men flock around me. Why? For my money, my fame, or for myself? I can never be sure. When I met Eric Plummer, I, I knew he'd led a rather wild life. But he was a great artist in his own right. And when he told me he loved me, it sounded real for once. Well, I hoped it was real. Yes, my dear. Go on. Lately, he's been painting my portrait. Once I took Bunny to watch. That was a mistake. Eric went to work on Bunny with all his charm. A man old enough to be her father. I want to keep Bunny wholesome and natural, Mr. Keene. I asked Eric again and again to stop turning her head. Today, this morning, I went to sit for him again. And to have it out with him once and for all. I was sitting on the dais, and he was painting. He looked up and laughed. He said... <laughs> well, my dear, you wouldn't be jealous of Bunny now, would you? Don't be silly, Eric. I just want you to leave Bunny alone. <laughs> Such a hackneyed situation, isn't it? The poor man starts by falling in love with the mother, and then suddenly he sees that, after all, it's the daughter he loves. Eric, you don't love anybody. It's all a game with you. Ah, me. The eternal triangle. He'd taken that tone with me before, Mr. Keene. Laughed at me. This time I was desperate. I wasn't going to let him ruin Bunny's life. I brought along a revolver. I took it from my bag. Eric looked up and said... Mary, you're much too sophisticated for that kind of nonsense. You must promise me never to see Bunny again. <laughs> Eric, I'm serious about this. Believe Don't me. Don't be a fool, my dear. Put it down before you hurt yourself. Can't you hear me? Stop this ridiculous play acting. Put it down, I say. <laughs> you really did it. I didn't think you had it in you. <laughs> and... There he lay dead before you, Mrs. Lane. Mr. Keene, will you believe me? I was... I was horrified. I never really meant to pull that trigger. I only wanted to frighten him. And suddenly... He was... Dead. I suppose I should give myself up to the police. One moment. Before you do anything like that, what has become of the gun? Well, after I ran from the house, my... First thought was to get rid of it. I threw it away. Where? There was a can of cinders standing in front of one of the houses. I pushed the gun inside and covered it over. That, my dear, was a great mistake. You went and buried your own best witness. Witness? Yes. To the fact that you never shot Eric Plummer. But I didn't shoot him. No. It was a physical impossibility. Why? Why do you say that? Better answer Hello? Uh, begging your pardon. May I speak to Mr. Keene? One moment, please. Mr. Keene. Thank you. Hello? Boss, Mr. Keene. Oh, hello, Mike. What did you find out? Boss, you hit it on the nose. Good, Mike. I'm glad. Now, something else for you to do. Yes, sir. Check with the sanitation department at once. Ask what they've done with the cinders they removed this morning from the 3000 block in East 58th Street. Cinders? What I'm really after is a gun. The caliber... 38. 38. Mike, we must have it. Talk of a needle in a haystack. I know you won't fail me, Mike. Okay, sir. So you think I did not kill Eric? Strange, isn't it? But I have to get evidence to convince you of your own innocence. But if I didn't, who did, Mr. Keene? That, my dear, is another story. And a rather tragic one. Forgive me if I run along now. <laughs> You are here again. The old gentleman. Yes, I'm afraid I must trouble you again. With more questions? This is a matter of life or death. For whom? A woman. 
Her daughter. Other person. Well, what do you want now? Permission to inspect your studio. I want to study the layout. Sorry, I cannot talk to anyone. Mr. Avila! She slammed the door in my face. <laughs> Come in. Good morning, boss. It's me. Not fit to stand in anybody's office. Why, Mike, you're all covered with ashes. Like a specter risen from the grave. I've been digging through a mountain of ashes all night. Where? Oh, over on the East Drive. They were taken for landfill. Did you find it, Mike? Here you are, boss. Good work. Have a look inside. Mike, I'm going back to Mary Blaine's place at once. I beg your pardon, sir. Are you going in there by any chance to see Mrs. Blaine? Yes, Corporal. You are a Corporal, aren't you? Yes, sir. Bob Martin's my name. My name is Keene. I believe you're a friend of Bunny's. Oh, I'm crazy about her. I came up on this furlough just to see Bunny. She locks herself away from me. Won't come to the phone. I'm not sophisticated enough for her, I guess. I rather fancy she may soon have her fill of sophistication. Well... I just thought if you saw Bunny around inside there... I'll be glad to tell her you're here. And too bashful to break in. Thank you. Oh, Mr. King. I've been waiting so anxiously ever since you phoned that you were coming. Can we speak somewhere privately? Of course. This door. Mr. King. Hello, Bunny. You have good news for us? Bunny knows everything I, I told her. I don't see how I ever could have thought Eric was glamorous. Well, we found a gun, Mrs. Blaine. Look at it. It's mine. The one I tried to get rid of. Not one of the cartridges has been fired. You're sure? My dear, you couldn't possibly have killed him. And for many reasons. What do you mean? You say Eric Plummer was facing you when you aimed the revolver? Yes, Mr. Keene. But the bullet actually entered from the side of his head. The side? In fact, judging from the lack of powder marks, from the distance at which the fatal bullet was obviously fired... Nobody inside that room could have killed him. Why, Mr. King? The room is 20 by 20. With Plummer sitting in the center, it is easel. A person aiming the pistol with arm outstretched would nowhere have been more than 10 feet from him. But the bullet traveled at least 15 feet. 15? Then where did it come from? Outside the apartment. From a studio just across the narrow air shaft and through the open window of Plummer's studio. And the person who killed him? A young lady, I'm afraid... Also a painter. We learned from the landlord that it was Plummer who engaged the little back studio for her a year ago. Eric did? Yes. And he was supposed to be so madly in love with Mother. For the past three months, her rent hasn't been paid at all. Plummer finally lost interest. The young lady, Miss Avila, seems quite hot-tempered. Charm. Glamour. And in the end, murder. Come in. Oh, Miss Heath. Captain Thomas. Your office said I'd find you here. I have a message for you. For me? It was addressed to the old gentleman. We figured out that means you. From, from Rosa Avalar. Yeah. Read it. Old gentleman, you are very wise. You guessed the truth. Now I will save everybody's time by sentencing myself. Rosa Avalar. Oh, gee... She committed suicide? Half hour ago, ma'am. I'm sorry about this. Truly sorry. Well, that closes the case. I'll have to get along now and write the police report. Goodbye, Captain Thomas. Mr. Keene, how can I ever thank you? You were innocent, Mrs. Blaine. I was happy to be able to help you. Eric, everything about him was so mean, so heartless. That reminds me, Bunny. I believe there's a boy, a very bashful one... Was hanging around outside. Oh, not poor Bob. Yes, poor Bob. Boy your own age. With ten times the real glamour of a man like Eric Plummer. Poor dear, he must be furious with me. No, just dying to see you. My dear, whenever you're tempted to see glamour in a man like Eric Plummer, remember that all that glisters is not gold. Often you have heard that told. Gilded tombs do worms enfold. How terribly true. I've realized it for a long time. And now, so do I. All right, Bunny. Run along with you and 
Make that poor, bashful soldier happy. And so Mr. Keene concludes the case of the missing witness. Listen next week at the same time as he brings us the baffling and colorful case of the girl who sang too well. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, untuned to yesterday from January 13, 1944 on CBS. This is an hour of mystery on Tuned to Yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Livonier. Now time for Richard Diamond, private detective, a very popular radio show at the time of this broadcast, especially when television was really taking over the entertainment market. It was part of ABC's Friday night lineup at 8 o'clock. Nearly 9 million people tuned into this broadcast starring Dick Powell called The Dixon Case from March 14, 1952. Richard Diamond, private detective. <laughs> adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency, our fee deductible on next year's income tax, Richard Diamond, Private Deduction speaking. I beg your pardon? Sorry, it's much too wordy to go over again. <clears throat> yes. Uh, Mr. Diamond, this is Fred Lane speaking. You once did a job for a friend of mine. Well, if your friend wants his money back, tell him I've already spent it. Oh, no, nothing like that. He recommended you. Well, well, wonders never cease. I'd like to hire you, Mr. Diamond. May I inquire as to your fee? You may. A hundred dollars a day in expenses. Oh, well, that is rather steep. But I think I can manage. Spoken like a true millionaire, Mr. Lane. I live at 1482 Riverside. Please get here as soon as possible. Well, I'm pretty busy, but I'll try to. I Please do, Mr. Diamond. I'll have a check waiting for you. Hmm. Mr. Lane, go to your front door. I'm there. People who promise to have checks waiting are people for whom Diamond loves to work. I went downstairs, picked up my car, and drove to the address on Riverside. Rang the doorbell. The door opened. Then my blood pressure started doing push-ups. She was tall, blonde, and wore a dress that would have even been banned on television. You must be Mr. Diamond. Well, how can you tell? Don't other men drool? Come in, please. Fred's expecting you. Fred? Mr. Lane, my husband. Oh. This way, please. Fred's in the den. I do hope you'll be able to help us, Mr. Diamond. Well, so do I, Mrs. Lane. What seems to be the trouble? I'll let Fred explain to you. This whole business is, has got me rather upset. I... It's in here. Fred? Yes? Mr. Diamond's here. Oh, good. Come in, Diamond. Come in. I'll be upstairs, Fred. Of course, dear. Sit down, Mr. Diamond. Thank you. Well, you got here in a hurry. You're certainly true to your word, sir. Well, I owe it all to my Boy Scout training. Well, here, as I promised, check. Oh, good, good. Now that we're both men of our word, let's make with some more words. Why do you want to hire me, Mr. Lane? It's about my wife, Mary. She's being blackmailed, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I see. It's been going on for a month now. Finally, last night she broke down and told me all about it. All about what, Mr. Lane? Why is she being blackmailed? She made a few mistakes before I met her. No reason to go into that now, but the blackmailer knows all about those mistakes. You speak as if you knew who the blackmailer was, Mr. Lane. I do. Perhaps I should clarify that a bit, however. I don't know the man personally, but Mary tells me he was a classmate of hers during her college years. Mm -hmm. She told me his name was Louis Dixon and that he was staying at the Brewster Hotel on 35th. I went there this morning to have it out with him. And? He checked out last night. Uh huh. Uh, Mr. Lane, I still don't see why you hired me. Now that your wife's told you about the blackmail, you could just report it to the police. Next time this Dixon guy calls, they'd nab him. I'm not interested in turning him over to the police, Mr. Diamond. I don't quite follow you. I'm only interested in seeing that he doesn't bother Mary anymore. When you locate Dixon, let me know. 
I intend to give him a thrashing he'll never forget. That's letting a blackmailer off pretty easy, Lane. Perhaps. But if we prosecute, well, publicity and all, I think Mary's gone through enough. Like I say, all I'm interested in is seeing that he doesn't bother her anymore. Call me about five and let me know what progress you made. Good day, Mr. Diamond, and good luck. And that was that. Go find a blackmailer, Diamond, so your client can beat him up. Screw it? <laughs> you bet. But the hundred-dollar check in my pocket made up for my own feelings on the case, and I set out to find one Lewis Dixon blackmailer. Lane seemed to think Dixon would have a record, and if he was right, Lieutenant Walt Levinson could give me a lead. It was almost noon when I parked in front of the 5th Precinct and walked into Walt's office. Well, oh, Ricky boy, pull up a chair. Just in time to watch me finish my lunch. Oh, you are so generous, Walter. No, thanks. No, thanks what? No, thanks. I won't have a piece of your pie. What's wrong with this pie? My wife made it. That's what's wrong. Are you insinuating my wife's a bad cook? Of course not. She just makes fattening pies. They're too doughy. How do you know it's too doughy before you taste it? You can tell by looking at it. That's ridiculous. Here, now, let me cut this piece in two. There. Now, try it. Oh, Walter. Go on, try it. Ah, well... Mm. Yeah. yeah. Is it doughy? Mm, not in the least. <laughs> I guess that proves you. Wait a minute. Something wrong, Fatty? You've eaten my wife's pies at the house before. You never thought they were dough. Do. No. Uh, pour me some coffee, please, Lieutenant. <laughs> you know, I should book you for swindling. What do you want down here, anyway? Oh, just a little peek at your files. Who is it you're looking for this time? A guy by the name of Lewis Dixon. Ever hear of him? Dixon? Well, Ralph Dixon, a pickpocket. Herbie Dixon, a con man. Well, I can't place a Louis Dixon offhand. What's his racket? Blackmail lately. Oh, charming. Why haven't we been called in on the case? Well, my client doesn't want publicity. Besides, he just wants to poke the guy in the snoot a few times and tell him he's been a bad boy. What? Yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, finish what's left of your pie while I go through the files. And, uh, uh Walt. Yeah? Have your wife bake lemon meringue next time, huh? Oh. I checked the file. There was nothing on Lois Dixon. I thanked Walt, went to my car, and drove across town to a little bar called the Bat's Cave. The Bat's Cave was as dingy as the name implied, but I didn't go there for entertainment. I was looking for Rabbit Jones, a guy who knew more about the underworld than Rudolph Halley. Like most informers, Rabbit Jones was a mean, whining character, and he didn't like me any more than I liked him. But he did like my money, and I liked his information. It was always a fair trade. I found him in the last booth, nursing a half-filled glass of beer. Ah, oh, hello, Rabbit. Oh, well, now that's a cheerful greeting. You must have won a horse race today, or weren't you running? Big joke. Ha-ha. Oh, Rabbit, you spread sunshine wherever you go, don't you? Who asked you to sit down? Diamond, I get sick of you private dicks. Go bother someone else. Oh, drop the small talk, Rabbit. I won't pay over the usual price, so don't make your information hard to get. Maybe I got none to sell. Pal, the day you stop selling information, I start knitting argyles. Okay, okay. Who is it? Louis Dixon. Where's the dough? You know I always pay. Well, this ain't my week for trusting people. Fork it over. Suit yourself. There. Now about Louis Dixon. Uh, I never heard of him. Let go of me. Don't get smart, Rabbit. I pay for talk straight. Okay, okay. Take your hands off of me. Right there. Uh, uh, Your rough boy's got to show your muscles, huh? Oh, shut up. You don't get my money unless you earn it, Rabbit, so start earning. Like I say, I never heard of a guy named Lewis Dixon. But you know, with my contacts, I can find out about him, so drop the rough stuff. How long will it take? It all depends. What's this Dixon guy's line? Blackmail. There's a chance he might have been mixed up in some other rackets the past few years. Uh, give me two hours. If he's been around lately, I'll find out. Now, make it one hour. I'll meet you back here. Okay. Hey, Diamond. Yeah? I wish I had more nerve. If I had more nerve, I'd slip a shiv in you some night. Oh, I wish you had more nerve, too, Rabbit. I'd enjoy beating you to pieces for trying it. On your way, punk. 
Rabbit shuffled out of the bat's cave with a slow, heavy step, like a man reluctant to step out into the sunlight. I spent the next hour checking contacts of my own, then returned to the bat's cave and waited for Rabbit. He came in a half an hour late, took the stool beside me, and ordered a beer before he turned to me. Oh, you picked some tough guys to get a line on, darling. Oh, I had a bad time. Stop singing the blues, Rabbit. Uh, and if the guy has worked the rackets, he's been quiet about it. I couldn't find one guy who knew him. You sure of that, Rabbit? Oh, sure, I'm sure. I did find a few guys who'd heard of him, though. Keep talking. Now, two different guys were at Squeaky Horner's floating crap game the other night. And they say a guy named Lewis Dixon was there. How did they know it was Dixon? Well, we was flashing dough around, telling everyone with a big shot of But they don't know where he is now. Well, if they did, I'd tell you. Maybe Squeaky Horner knows. He ran the game. Oh, where's Squeaky now? When the game folds for a few days, Squeaky hangs out around the Penny Arcade at 3rd and Chestnut. No, I know the place. Well, then go and talk to him. And let me drink my beer in peace. I passed a few more insults with Rabbit as I paid a check, then drove to the Penny Arcade, 3rd and Chestnut. Squeaky Horner was hunched over a pinball machine, and when he saw me, his eyes lit up like the tilt sign. Ricky Diamond, hey! How you been, Rick? No, not bad, Squeaky. You? Ah, great, great. Hey, look, look at that score. Uh, got a nickel? Oh, sure, here. Thanks. What brings you down here, Ricky? I understand a guy named Lois Dixon was at your game a few nights ago. Hey, Rick, there's a lot of boys drop in from time to time. It's hard... Uh, you say Dixon? That's right. Yeah, I remember him, a blowhard. Every time he rolled a dice, he said, Lewis Dixon's the best crap shooter in town. Prove it, dice. That's what he said. You ever seen him before, Squeaky? Let me see. No, he was a stranger. I got a good memory for faces. This boy I never seen before. Oh, great. Was he with anyone you might know? I'm afraid not, Rick. He come alone and he left alone. Wish I could help you, though. Thanks, anyway. Thank you for the nickel. Hey, look at that score go up. Squeaky's score was running very high, but mine was still zero. So far, not one definite lead as to the whereabouts of Lewis Dixon. I spent another half hour combing the known informers, but to no avail. A little after five, I went to a phone booth and called my client, Fred Lane. Hello? Mr. Lane? Who's this? Richard Diamond. Uh... It's Walt, Rick. Walt, what are you doing there? Can't you guess? Oh, no. Uh-huh. Fred Lane, your client, Rick? Yeah. Better get over here right away. You are now unemployed. Lane? That's right. Murdered. <laughs> Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Fred Lane's body lay on the floor of his den. There was a letter opener lying beside the body, and it fit the hole in his back. Tomorrow morning's paper would carry Fred Lane's obituary. It would tell where he was born, what he did with his life, and when he died. But it wouldn't tell who killed him. And that's what I wanted to find out. Looks like you really put up a fight, eh, Rick? Yeah, the room's torn up a lot. Who did it, Walt? Louis Dixon, the guy you've been out looking for. Do you have him? Uh-uh. Mrs. Lane gave us the information. Seems Dixon came here to the house about two hours ago. He wanted more dough for Mrs. Lane. Pretty nervy to come right here. Yeah. I guess she figured Lane might be out. Anyway, Mrs. Lane called her husband. Fred came in, invited Dixon into the den for a talk, and sent Mrs. Lane upstairs. Oh, well, that fits. Lane starts beating up Dixon. Dixon grabs the letter opener and kills Lane. Uh, that's where it figures. Mrs. Lane said she heard the struggle, but her husband had told her to stay in her room. And then she heard Dixon run out, so she came down and found the body and called us. Mm. Did you get the prints off the letter opener? No. Nope. Mrs. Lane said Dixon was wearing a pair of gloves when he came in. Chances are oh. he never took them off. Mm. Oh, that's great. Well, Fatty, I hope you have more luck picking up Dixon than I had. Nobody around town seems to know him. Well, Miss Lane gave us a good description. I put out an APB. What about you? You still on the case? I was about to give it up when I phoned. But I can keep going as long as my legs hold up. Good. I'd like to nab this Dixon guy as quick as possible. Me too, Walt. I don't like people to go around killing my clients. Just isn't good for business. (laughs) 
taking a body down to the morgue as I left. It looked like a hard day for my shoe leather. The only thing I could do was keep pounding the pavement in search of someone who knew or had known Lois Dixon. Cigarette stands, boogie joints, cheap boarding houses, nothing. Down to the Bowery, missions, small bars, guys on the corner. Lois Dixon? Yeah, never heard of him. And so it went. I headed back for my office in the comfort that comes when you sit in the chair with your feet on the desk. But when I reached the entrance of the office building, Squeaky Horner was standing there waiting for me. Hey, Ricky, where you been? I've been waiting here a long time, almost an hour. Oh, what's on your mind, Squeaky? You still looking for Louis Dixon? That's a silly question. Why? Because I seen him about an hour and a half ago. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I got a good memory for faces. After I leave the arcade, I'm walking up third and I see him. Big as life. Where is he now? I tell him, see? He goes into Henry's flop house. He's staying in one of Henry's rooms. Uh, not in a hall like most of the guys. He's under another name. What name, Squeaky? Jack Lighton. You want I should take you to the place, Ricky? Yeah, Squeaky. I want that you should. Here's the room, Ricky. You want I should knock? Never mind. What? Just hold it right there, Layton. Or is it Dixon? What are you talking about? What's the idea of busting in here like this? What about it, Squeaky? Is he the guy? No doubt about it, Ricky. He's the same guy who was at the game a few nights ago. What game are you talking about? I've never seen you before in my life. All right, Squeaky. I can take it from here. Thanks a lot. Anytime, Ricky. Hey. Hey, what gives anyway, bud? Suppose you tell me, Dixon. Why do you keep calling me Dixon? The name's Jack Layton. Well, we'll see about that. There's one person who should be able to identify you for sure. Fred Lane's widow. Get your hat, pal. Well, it looked like the end of a hard day. I forced Layton, or Dixon, outside and into my car. Then we drove to the Lane house on Riverside. The police had left and Mrs. Lane was alone. I took my man inside and Mrs. Lane looked at him closely. I knew it would be just like the movies. She'd point and say... That's him. That's the man, Mr. Diamond. I'm sorry, Mr. Diamond. What? I've never seen this man before in my life. This, dear children, is the story of why a detective gets ulcers. But as I was driving Leighton back toward town, I began thinking. Squeaky Horner had never been wrong about a man before. And why had Dixon been so hard to locate? I hadn't been able to turn up one man who knew him. So instead of driving Leighton back to his room, I drove to the Brewster Hotel where Lane said Dixon had been registered for a week. There, it was a different story. The desk clerk positively identified Jack Layton as the man who had registered as Louis Dixon. At last, things began to shape up. Why did you bring me here to your office? I want to get back to my room. You heard what the desk clerk said. You registered as Louis Dixon. Why? Oh, that desk clerk was loony. He made a mistake. You heard what Mrs. Lane said. She never saw me before. So she said. But I think differently, Layton. And up here all along, we can have a nice little chat. You're going to tell me all about it. I... I got nothing to say. No? Well, then suppose I open the conversation. <laughs> now, that was a first sentence, Layton. Now, do I start on a paragraph, or will you talk instead? Hey... I don't... I don't know a thing. Okay, stupid. We'll do it the hard way. Yes? Oh, Mr. Diamond. Uh, hello, Mrs. Lane. Mind if I come in? Of course not. Please do. Uh, suppose we go into the den. I'd like to have a little talk with you, Mrs. Lane. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling too well, Mr. Diamond. The shock and all. Oh, yes, yes, of course. It it must have been trying, my bringing that Leighton man here for you to identify. Well, yes, it was. It, uh, if you could come back tomorrow, perhaps. Oh, I, I'm afraid not, honey. Now. Very well. I'm sorry you picked up the wrong man, Mr. Diamond. Oh, sure, yes. That's funny. Two other people swore he was the man known as Louis Dixon. Well, it's hard to identify someone accurately, I imagine. But I was certain he wasn't Dixon. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you've tidied up the den quite a bit. 
Just what is it you wanted to talk to me about, Mr. Diamond? Well, there's no hurry, no hurry. Say, this is a handsome room. Nice house, too. And all yours, along with everything else your husband owned. That's rather a cruel thing to say. Oh, come off it, Mary. It was a wild scheme. What do you mean? I mean that you invented a phony character, a Lois Dixon, and set up a murder with every clue pointing to a man who never existed. You're crazy. No, no, Mary. You were crazy to think a stunt like this would ever work. You hired a bum named Jack Layton, gave him money, had him register at the Brewster Hotel as Lois Dixon. Then you had him hit some of the gambling joints and make sure people heard his name as Lois Dixon. Then he was to disappear. I won't stay here and be insulted. No? Well, soon I'll take you down to headquarters. You can be insulted there. Well, I hope you have proof, Mr. Diamond. You'll need it. Well, Layton was reluctant at first, but let's say I persuaded him to talk. I dropped him by the 5th Precinct on my way over here. How much do you make as a private detective, Mr. Diamond? Oh, Mary, Mary, don't talk like that. First chance you got, you'd stick a knife in my back, too. Well, it was just a suggestion. After all... No, no, no. Drop it. Drop it now. Well, well. First a letter opener on your husband, and now you try to bean me with a paperweight. Honey, you're just not safe around a desk, are you? Yes, Helen, dear? I've been thinking. Show off. No, really. I think you should put your business on a more dignified level. You don't say. You should try and attract a higher type clientele. Oh, I don't know. This lame fellow I work for today was no slouch. But what happened to him? He got killed. That's the trouble with your cases. They're too dangerous. If you don't get into trouble, your clients do. True, true. You should concentrate on more simple cases for wealthy clients like divorce cases and inheritance claim. Oh, great. Maybe I should even carry a potter puff in my shoulder holster. All right, so it wouldn't be as exciting. Get the same fee and you wouldn't get so many black eyes. But I couldn't come here to you for sympathy, dear. Rick, I'm serious. Okay, honey, okay. Just, now tell me, just how do I go about attracting a higher type clientele, as you put it? Well, you start off by putting on a more pretentious front. Meaning I eat more? Meaning you act a little more dignified. Well, do go on, Miss Asher. You should also have someone at the office to answer the phone for you. Oh, Helen, it only rings once or twice a day. I think I have enough strength to pick up the receiver that often. Well, it's strictly for appearances. Oh, oh, I see. Anyone in mind for the job? Well, I have a lot of free time. Oh, fine, dear, fine. I'm glad it's free. I should be able to afford that. And then after we build up the business... Rick, are you listening? Hmm? Oh, sure, sure, baby, sure. You are not. You're just waiting for me to take a pause so you can sneak in a song. Oh, honey, how can you be so suspicious? But, uh, since you did bring up the matter... I, I should have known better. Oh, live and learn, dear, live and learn. If they ask me, I could write a book About the way you walk and whisper and look I could write a preface on how we met So the world would never forget And the simple secret of the plot is just to tell them that I love you a lot. Then the world discovers as my book ends how to make two lovers of friends. Oh, 
to make two lovers afraid. Oh, very nice. Well, thank you, sweet. Only now let's get back to your business. Oh, who wants to talk about business? Come here. Now, Rick, stop mm. it. Rick, I wanted to... Now then, you were saying I shouldn't get on a more dignified level. I was? Oh, that's what I like. The gal with a one-track mind. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond was written by Dick Carr with music by Frank Worth. Virginia Gregg was heard as Helen Asher and Alan Reed as Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Others in the cast were Benny Rubin, Mary Jane Croft, Howard McNear, and Peter Leeds. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Be sure to listen to another great camel show, Vaughn Monroe and the Camel Caravan, every Saturday night. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. On Tuned to Yesterday, that ABC broadcast first heard on March 14, 1952. And so closes this hour of mystery on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from Radio's Yesteryear. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Levonier. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>